UNHR Department of One trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. I am Brenda, the HR lady. I am an HR mentor. That's right. I am an HR mentor, and I absolutely enjoy doing what I do. <clears throat> I am currently out of the office, running around, uh, traveling. Nicole and I are out and about doing what we need to do. <laughs> and I am out of the studio, which I have to admit, feels really, really good to get out every now and again. So, if you are a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you, welcome you to the show. Thank you so very much. Glad you're here. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so very much for coming back again. I really, 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 really love the fact that you guys come on over. Have a really great time. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of useful information to get out of here. I apologize. Hopefully the wind isn't too bad where uh, you're not going to get blocked up and, and hogged up here with the sound um, because, like I said, I'm not in the studio. But um, actually, you know what? Before I go on, if you guys could do me a huge, huge, huge favor, we get about 4,000 listeners a week tuning into this podcast. I've been doing this for a while now, and it just some of the some of the people I've met as a result of this has just been absolutely amazing. And matter of fact, if you can do me a favor, go on, help other people find this show by jumping on and giving a <clears throat> Excuse me, it's not the Rona. <laughs> Just clear my throat. Uh, you have a five a five star review on iTunes or Stitcher or iHeartRadio or wherever you're picking the show up from. That would be absolutely awesome. In fact, I want to give a real thanks. I I look at these all the time. Matter of fact, I had a, a, a really awesome one that came through the other day, and uh, <clears throat> she writes, "If you are looking for literal literally knowledge bombs, I love that knowledge bombs." <laughs> Information after information, Brenda's a human resource guru. She has helped me with all my business needs, questions, and full of answers and resources. Best podcast ever. Aw, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You know what? There's a lot of really great people out there that are trying to find the same information that you get to dial into every single week. And you leaving a five-star review will help us get to help the people that are looking for us. There are people out there that are itching for help. They are so thirsty for help that they're willing to drink the sand. And if you know what movie that's from, DM me, because I'd really, really love to see how many people can pick up on that line. That is an actual line from a movie, and I love it. But anyway, so today we're going to do something a little bit different. You know, I'm in the process of writing this book, and it, it's, <laughs> it is a little bit of a tell-all, kind of. It's 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 going to be really neat. It's actually called Best Practices in Human Resources. It's not out just yet. And matter of fact, this week is part of the reason why I'm out about traveling is that I'm revisiting the launch date for a couple of reasons. And um, one of the things is that there's something, there's an element of the book that I want to take a step back on 
and see if it makes sense to put it in there or not. And I just need to have conversations about it with people. But nonetheless, the first section of the book is, is actually my story, how I went from being a wannabe in HR all the way up to getting my first job uh, or my highest level job as a vice president for a uh, in human resources. And so that's a big deal. And I talk about, I mean, I get raw. I talk about the challenges. I talk about my failures. I talk about the things that I did. I talk about the things that I wish I didn't do. I talk about where I was and what was going on on 9-11. And I talk about people that I admire. I talk about people that gave me hell. And, you know, it, it's a real story. It's my real story. And it was not easy. It was absolutely not easy getting into HR. It was hard breaking through that glass ceiling. I did it. It took me three years to do it, but I did it. And when I was in, man, I was just relentless, absolutely relentless. Anything and everything that I could do and learn and soak up because I struggled so hard in the beginning of my life with a learning disability that when I finally conquered it, I actually got to thrive and I got to live, right? And I know there's other people out there that are going through what I that going through what I went through. And it's funny because I had was having a conversation um, with my director of sales today. She's awesome. <clears throat> Some of you have already talked to her. Uh, we know who you are, and we love you for it. She's a great lady. Um, oh man, she's such an awesome lady. And one of the things that we were talking about, we got into this conversation about a particular uh, person. And and I started thinking, you know what, man, everything she's telling me about this person, her experiences, her fears, her challenges, it, it all reminded me of everything that I went through, everything that I went through, that, that's the whole reason why I do what I do now. And the thing is, is that I know I'm, you know, I've been in this 23 years. Look, I'm still not far away from feeling what I used to feel when I first started doing this. And I'm not just talking about low confidence. I'm talking about low worth. I'm talking about not feeling confident that I knew what to say, when to say it, and how to go about saying it without feeling like an absolute jackass. Because let's face it, when we don't know what we're doing, we're afraid to step up and say something because we're afraid we're going to feel like a jackass. I know I did. I did it all the time. Now, if somebody calls me a jackass, this is something I say, I laugh, and I go, thank you. Right? <laughs> I tell you, that's confidence. <laughs> that's also a level of not taking yourself so seriously. But, you know, but that's the thing, is that, you know, we're all trying to prove ourselves <clears throat> in this world. And that's a perfectly normal, natural thing to do. But we all have to prove ourselves in this world. If we can't prove that we're doing something right, that we're capable of doing something, man, our confidence just goes to, it just goes, to, you just lick the curb, you know. I mean, you can work towards something, work towards something, work towards something, and then something happens, and all of a sudden, pow, you're right back down to the bottom. You're right back down licking that curb again. It's uncomfortable. And not to mention, if you're a driver personality like I am, and I always have been, but here's the thing that happened to me, is that so I had so many failures that it actually snuffed my driver personality. I call my driver personality my alpha. And I talk a lot about it in this book. My alpha comes up and it comes out when I need it to. And there was a period of time, I'd say easily 
what, about maybe 10 years, maybe 10, possibly 15 years, where my alpha was not capable of coming out because I had convinced my alpha I wasn't worth it. I wasn't worth having the conversation for. And you know what? That's a load of garbage. That's an absolute load of garbage. So in this conversation that I was having with my director of sales, I started remembering what it was like when I was a, when I was an HR sprout. And that's what I called myself, right? When I first started an HR sprout, that's what I call a lot of people. If you're just getting in right now, I give you a, you know, a really great word. It's called an HR champion. That's your title. If you're getting into this, <clears throat> you haven't been doing it for a while. You're relatively new. You don't, you know, you're not a full-fledged professional. I call you guys an HR champion because you're championing, you're championing the way, right? You're championing the way for possibility to happen, for compliance to happen, for good things to happen with people. And when I was first interviewing for this job and I was an HR sprout, I remember, uh, it was, he was my, my boss's boss who therefore became my boss. And he interviewed me and he's like, why do you want to do this job? I said, oh, because I want to, I want to work with people. It's usually the first answer that anybody gives in the HR. Yeah, I love working with people. I think they're great. I love helping people solve problems. For me, there was that too. But it was also deep-seated down underneath that I really loved the business aspect of it. I knew I was going to be in business. I was going to do stuff in business. I knew that when I was a kid because I was so fascinated by it. I was fascinated by the look. I was fascinated by the feel. I was fascinated... This is where my ego really kicks in, right? I was fascinated by the clothing. I was fascinating that these beautiful women were walking around with these attache cases, just looking remarkable, right, and capable. I was fascinated by seeing men in suits. You know, I was fascinated by the cars. I was fascinated by the environment. I was fascinated by the fact that they left their house every day, went to a great place to work, came back, after crushing it for a whole day and spent time with their families. <laughs> that's, that's what, that's what your dream job looks like when you're like seven years old, right? <clears throat> but that's what it was to me. I was just fascinated. So I applied for this job. I got the job <clears throat> and I got into the job and I was so excited about it. And then it hit me <laughs> within <laughs> A matter of hours after first starting, I went, what the hell did I get myself into? I don't know anything about this stuff. Am I crazy? I know I want to be in HR, but man, I only know what I know so far. And boy, all these managers, they know a ton more than I do. They're all in this in, right? The managers, they all work together. They've been doing this for a while. They have the in. They've got the skills. They know how to talk to people. They know how to ramble on. They know how to control the situation. Again, I don't know how to do that. I'm not good at it. I left management jobs because I stunk at it. And that's the whole reason why I took that step down and becoming just a regular entry-level person all over again because I was fried. I was absolutely burnt out. I had no confidence in myself. My team didn't like me. I was edgy as all get out. You think I'm a powerhouse? I was edgy and raw and wow. <laughs> That's how I was. I had an edge that could cut glass, man. 
but that's how I was taught. I was taught with no mentors. <clears throat> I was taught in an environment of do it I say, not as I do. And that's how I figured it out. I I made business happen. I turned around I turned around broken businesses, broken stores in retail. I turned them around. I was capable of doing that. But the one thing I wasn't capable of was getting the respect of people. So I came into this HR job loving people, wanting to help people out but not really really honestly knowing how to do it, <clears throat> except helping them find the answer. That I was good at. That I was really good at. I'm really good at helping people find the answer. That is, that is my number one talent. And I know that for a fact. That is my number one gift, helping people find the answers to stuff. I am so good at it. And it's, it's what I based my entire HR career off of. And every step of the way was helping people find the answer. And I capitalized on it. <clears throat> but if I didn't know how to handle the situation, I was like a turtle on a shell. Went right back on in again. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say it. I would come out, you know, if I had to deliver bad news, I would take the long road. <laughs> finally, my boss finally said, would you just tell me what it is? Just bottom line it. <laughs> But I would sit there and say, well, you know, you maybe want to, you might want to consider, you know, and there's all this soft, passive language. And he just finally looked at me and says, I don't have time. Tell me what it is. Just come out and say it. You can do it. I had no confidence. I had no confidence in speaking to anybody in a position of authority. I grew up in an environment where you don't challenge your authority at all. <clears throat> you don't speak down to them. You respect them, even when they're wrong. And you don't make them wrong. You don't make them feel like a fool. So how do I tell people that I'm not doing something right, but yet not make them feel like a fool? So I had to figure that out. <clears throat> and the answer is you can't. <laughs> Most of the time, you can probably do an okay job, depending on how you angle it. But I didn't know how to do that. It took a lot of listening and watching other people talk to other individuals and give them that that corrective nudge, not correcting them. I'm talking about corrective nudge. How to say things, how not to say things. Help them understand why things are done. I didn't know you should do that. I had no idea you should know that you should teach people how to, the reason why you do that stuff, right? So I didn't know how. I didn't know how to do any of this. And you know how it made me feel? It made me feel terrible. It made me feel like I was incompetent, like I shouldn't be there. <clears throat> I didn't know what I was talking about, even though I had the answers and I know how to find them. Who's going to listen to me? Who's going to want to pay attention to what I have to say? So after about two years of feeling like that, that's when I discovered I had an undiagnosed learning disability. I learned how to reread as an adult when I was 32 years old. I had found out that I had dyslexia. It was never really picked up on when I was younger. Nobody really ever did anything to help me out with it. I know I've talked about it, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <clears throat> but then I started to enrich myself. I started, basically what I did, honestly, if you really want to know what I did, 
I invested in myself. <clears throat> I invested in the hard work. And here's, here's the reason why I did is because I knew living in that little town in Wisconsin that I was living in at the time, there wasn't anything for me there that was going to make me happy. And that's the first investment that I made in myself was my investment in my happiness. I looked around in my situation and made the decision based off of everything I was evaluating and everything I was looking at, <clears throat> was I going to be happy retiring there? And you know what my answer was? Oh, hell no. <laughs> that was not going to happen. I hated the cold. I hated being inside all winter long. I'm not a deer hunter. <laughs> I have other things that I'm interested in doing other than watching people sit around literally eating bratwurst and drinking beer and watching the Packers on football. It was limiting to me, and I'm not a person to be limited. And I knew that, but I didn't have the courage to say it. I didn't have the courage to believe it. That was a breaking point right there. <clears throat> Once I had the courage to believe that I could have something different for myself, life started to change. Life started to change, not immediately, but it started to move the needle. So I decided I'm going to go back to school. All the while, I'm still trying to figure out how the heck do I do all this job, right? How do I say these things? And I would get frustrated. Oh, my gosh. I would get so frustrated. And I'd have these stories in my head. Somebody would say something kind of like, you know, off the cuff or off color, or they would just say something insensitive, you know, because let's face it, you have some employees, people that you work with, they do that. And I would just get upset. I would, it would just fester inside of me. It would drive me absolutely crazy. Like, how could somebody be so insensitive? How could somebody treat me like that when all I've had was their back the entire time? <clears throat> and you know what? I was listening to a friend of mine that I know, but I should say it's a growing friendship. A really, really good person. <clears throat> really good dude. And he was talking about loyalty. He was talking about how he came to a, a lesson in his life that he can be the most loyal person in the world. He and I are cut from the same cloth on this, and we had a, a short little conversation about it and a text back and forth. That you can be very loyal, and loyalty is not going to get repaid. You know, If you are a diehard loyal person, understand that you are one of the few, and it is not going to get repaid back to you. Now, you may end up running into some people, but you're not going to run into quite a You're not going to be in the masses, right? So I couldn't figure out why people weren't being loyal. And that's one of the things that I learned that was frustrating me, is that I'm doing all these things. I'm doing what's in the betterment of the organization. I'm doing what's in the betterment of the company. My boss sees it, and he appreciates it, but I'm still operating in a vacuum. I'm still operating in an environment where... Managers are doing what they're supposed to do because somebody's telling them that they have to. Managers aren't doing what they're doing, they're supposed to do, because it's always the right thing to do. And in all fairness, some of these managers believed that the direction that we were going as a company wasn't the right thing to do. And you know what? I totally honored that. But when I had managers that would constantly challenging me, it's like, well, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why, 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 why? 
man, it would drive me crazy. It wouldn't drive me crazy because they're challenging me. Why, 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 why? The reason why they were challenging me is because I didn't know how to explain it. And you know how that made me feel? Let me feel like crap. It made me feel like I was insignificant again. And it made me feel like I was never going to break through this ever. I would go home and cry about it. And I don't cry. <laughs> I would get frustrated. There's one thing I will not do when I'm upset. I will not drink. I won't do it. I'll eat, <laughs> but I won't drink. And back then I used to smoke cigarettes. So I'd sit there and just stew and smoke a cigarette and listen to the helicopter that's going over my head. Because, yet again, I'm close to another base as I'm traveling. There we go. And and that's what I do. I'd sit and I'd stew and I'd fester because I didn't have anybody I could talk to about this. And then I got really good at what I was doing. Actually, one of my bosses, um, we had a transition of bosses, and he bought me, it was called The Successful Manager's Handbook, <clears throat> one of the best books I've ever gotten as a gift, really, seriously. And I recommend this to anybody who's in an HR position where you're dealing with people dynamics, Anybody who's in a management position where you're dealing with people dynamics, right? So the book is an awesome book. And basically what you do, or how I used it when I got it, <clears throat> was that I took a look at all the areas that I wasn't good at, and I focused in. So if I knew I was going to go up against somebody and I needed to, you know, communicate in an influential manner and I didn't know how to do it, I could go in and look into the book. They had a chapter on speaking with power and influence, and I could take these these little tips away. And I was able to actually use it to better my capability and better my ability, but I would think very clearly on what it was that I wanted to say, how I wanted to say it. I started watching other successful managers do exactly that. How could they talk to somebody and get their buy-in, right? Buy-in was not something that I was good at getting, and I had to learn how to do that. But once I learned how to do it, I gradually got better at it to the point where I can get just about anybody's buy-in on anything because I understand the fundamentals behind it. And so I started to kind of come out of this deep place of insecurity, a deep place of not feeling like I belonged there, a deep place of feeling that all I was was just this worthless paper pusher when I had a lot more information, a lot more to contribute to the work environment and to managers' experiences with their employees, to the employees themselves. I slowly started to come out of that because I was constantly working on building my worth and building my value. But more importantly, I was building my worth to myself. Because everybody here on this planet, all of us, we, sh we have every capability of being successful in whatever that looks like to us. If you just want to have a really great job that you feel you just feel really good at and that to you is what success looks like, you should have that. Just like I wanted it. Right? If if successful means having a ridiculous stupid amount of money, then you know what? You should have that. You you should be successful. Every single one of us were designed to be successful. But not every one of us works to get it because those that don't work to get it 
you know what happens? They buy into a conversation. There's that word again, buy-in, right? They start to believe this conversation that's deep, 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 deep in the basement of their souls. And that is, I'm not worth it. Well, let me tell you something. You are worth it. Everybody's worth it. There isn't a person on this planet that's not worth getting something great. Everybody's worth having something great in this world. And you have to start believing that if you're going to achieve. You can still achieve and not be it. But I promise you, you're not going to be happy. And the reason I know that is because that's what happened to me. I was starting to achieve, but I didn't believe that I was entitled to that. Maybe not entitled. That's maybe not the right word. But I didn't believe that I had value to earn that achievement. That's a nasty feeling. Very nasty feeling. It's very empty. It's cold. It doesn't serve anybody, anything, except this little voice that holds you back from being the very best thing that you could possibly believe in. And the only way to get past that is investing in you. Now, you guys hear me talk a lot about how you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of everything else and everybody else. That's where that is. That's what that is. It's not just about, you know, doing your daily walks and and drinking ketones and, you know, working out, popping vitamins and, you know, start chewing on a gummy before you go to bed so that you get full eight hours of sleep. That's part of it. Yeah, that's absolutely part of it. But the bigger piece of it, the thing that drives that machine, the thing that moves everything forward is the conversation you have in between your ears and what goes on in your mind and what you tell yourself and what you start believing in or not believing in when it comes to your value and your worth. The only way to conquer that dark, horrible, suppressive, nasty feeling is to invest in yourself. Now, let me tell you what investment actually means. It doesn't mean you go down to 7-Eleven, drop $100 on lottery tickets, and hope for the best. That's not investing. That's foolishness, right? Investing is looking at yourself and figuring out and being honest with yourself, where can I improve today? Or what do I want? What's the one thing that makes me feel so icky and so horrible? What makes me feel so bad? And I'm not talking about other people's, what they do to you. I'm talking about what you're missing out on. Where's the void? If you don't know how to crunch numbers, that's what you should be focusing in on. If you don't know how to convince people to do things, that's what you should be, that's what you should be focusing in on. If you don't know how to gain buy-in with people, that's what you should be focusing in on. It could be reading. It could be listening to podcasts, not just mine. There's a lot of, there's a, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that I listen to on a regular basis. There's three people that I listen to consistently, regularly. Naturally, now I lied. There's four. I have four people now that I listen to consistently and regularly. Each one of them has a purpose. One person teaches me about business stuff. The other person teaches me about sales stuff. The first person teaches me about marketing as well. 
which I'm ter- totally terrible at, just letting you know. It's, it's trying to speak marketing and HR. And that's why employee branding is something that I focused in on first. Because for me, that's like speaking Japanese and Chinese all, or Japanese and Spanish all in the same sentence. Hard, 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 right? Not my forte, not my thing. But I take it on. Uh, the other person is motivational. Well, the other two people are motivational, I should say. We'll call it at that, right? One's more faith-based than the other. <clears throat> but nonetheless, I get value from them. Those are the people that I rely on to help fill me up, especially when I feel down. And believe it or not, doing what I do, I feel down. I get impacted by what happens to clients. I get impacted by what happens to employees. I, I get impacted by what happens to you. Oh, my gosh, my investment is in you guys. You guys are my partisan. You're the ones that I focus in on. Because I know what it feels like. It's ugh. It's awful. Like learning is not easy. Learning is not comfortable. Life is not comfortable. That's what money does for us. I know what it feels like to walk into that office and take a look around at a table full of people who have been doing what they do for years. And you come in as the rookie and are expected to step up and speak and you think, oh, my God. I am not worth this at all. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to say something that you spent hours and time researching, convinced, you know the facts, you know the answer to the dilemma, you know the answer to the problem, you know the solution, you have it at your fingertips, and all of a sudden you get up, you're ready to speak it because you're just so ready, like, this is going to be great. This is going to solve everything. And next thing you know, somebody smashes it down in front of you because they're a disbeliever. Right? They steal your thunder away from you. They put you down back into that pit where you literally sit there and think, what the hell did I get myself into? And that is a very defeating voice. Very defeating voice. I know what that feels like, which is the whole reason why I do what I do, is to help you guys through it faster than what I had to go through. And let me tell you something, when you get the courage to find your alpha, when you get the courage to let your alpha come out without looking like an absolute psychopath, (laughs) because let's face it, when we get angry and we get frustrated, us women, we have a tendency to kind of let it show. We do. (laughs) You know, all of a sudden, our hair gets long, our ears get pointed, our fangs come out, and our nails all of a sudden are just like spikes. (laughs) And nobody wants to deal with that. But I know what that feels like. And I refuse to be that person. I, I refuse to be labeled by that person. So bring your alpha out in a positive, constructive way. Learn how to step up and say, you know what, sir? I appreciate what you're saying, but I disagree, and here's the reason why. And give them a reason other than just because you believe. Give them a reason that connects your solution to the answer that best serves the company. When you start doing that, 
people start listening. And when those doubters, they come after you and they say, oh, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you don't know. It's like, that's where you go. Well, actually, you know what? I do. And here's the reason why I say that. You have it in you to do this. You really do. And you can do it with respect. And you can do it with power. And you can do it with strength. You can do it with character. That's what all this is, is all builds character. Right? Character building moments, those are painful. But you know, when you come out of them, people will be able to say what they really truly see. And that's your character, not your reputation. Not how pretty you look, because I quite frankly think all of you are gorgeous. But it's all about your character. You know what? She was right. She called me out. And I respect that. I don't like it, but I respect it because she's right. She didn't do it in a manner that was nasty, gross, or disgusting. It made me feel like a jerk. I kind of do feel like a jerk. But you know what? I can eat a little crow for that. That's how people are going to start thinking about you. And when that happens you're going to earn a tremendous amount of respect. And when you have that respect, you're not going to win 100% of your proposals and your ideas, but you're going to be pretty damn close to it. You'll have the ability to be more influential in your company doing what's right. But unfortunately, you have to work your way through the vacuum to do it. And you know what? There are going to be times or companies aren't going to want to hear what you have to say. Bosses aren't going to hear what you have to say. Managers aren't going to give a flying fig about what you say. Employees aren't going to care about what you say. And when that starts happening on a consistent basis, then you have to make the decision, is it worth staying or not? Only you can make that determination. Because if, if that's the culture, that's never going to change. That won't change until the apex leadership changes. And if that apex leader owns the organization and doesn't have any plans on selling it anytime soon, not going to happen. You're going to be the dynamic that's going to change, not them. So you're worth this. You're worth every single sweating minute in this job. And don't let anybody tell you for a minute that you're not, and that you're not worthy. But more importantly, don't let yourself feel that way either. Don't convince yourself that you don't belong here, because you do. Don't convince yourself that you're not worth the investment of time and learning and education and certification, because you are. Don't walk into a room full of people who have been doing their job for however long that they've been doing it, look at you with an empty expression on their face and start believing that they know more than you, that they are always right over you, and that you have nothing to contribute to them. Because everybody on this planet has something to contribute to anybody else. Remember, your job, compliance, leadership, and for you, growth. Now stay true.